0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlowski. Hey, listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Doors of Portland. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service and all garage door repairs, with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving West Portland out to Hillsboro? Call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at ProLiftDoors.com Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or ProLiftDoors.com Portland. So this episode is going to end up being a follow-up to our other podcast on vaccines. Our guest today has actually chosen to remain anonymous. Uh, he is concerned of the, with the fallout that might take place if uh, his, his views got out. He has chosen not to vaccinate his children, and so he is going to take on the, uh, that portion of the debate. So, Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> Appreciate you phrasing it in that way. It's uh, so often you're labeled as anti-something, uh, in this case, anti-vaxxer, and, and really we're for personal health freedom. And so that's how we really like to talk about it, is we're for personal choice, personal freedom, personal responsibility. And so uh, thank you for for that kind intro. All right. So just a little
0: bit of background for the listeners who who may not be quite as up to speed on this, that the vaccine... Debate has been going on for a while, but it kind of came to the forefront back in the 2019 session with House Bill 3063, which would have mandated vaccines in or- a list of vaccines in order to attend a public school, private school, and daycare, if I remember that correctly. Yeah. And so it included, you know, your usual suspects of MMR and trans, you know, transmittable diseases, but also included things like HPV and tetanus, which are not spread through contacts between humans. And so there was a lot of pushback on that of, first of all, why are you including private and daycares? And second of all, this list of, of vaccines contains a lot of things that are, you know, not communicable between people. And so why are they being included? Anyway, it was, it was a big hot topic. It was one of the things that caused the walkout in the last session. And so, uh, there's been a lot of different views on this and they range from Tim's perspective of medical freedom all the way to people who believe that vaccines simply don't work and that it's all a big, big fraud by the pharmaceutical companies. So there's a lot of misinformation going on out there. And so we just are hoping to have kind of a rational discussion about it. Nice plug. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so... Um, Todd, why did you decide to uh I've only given them teen so <laughs> Start with it's the teens and move to other things. <laughs> um so what do you, what is kind of your thought process on
1: vaccines and why you chose not to to vaccinate? The research is controversial. So and and, and I know that statement in and of itself is controversial to say how is research Controversial. It's researched. It's fact. It's proven. And in some cases and in some instances, yes, it is. But there's also a lot of uncertain information about vaccines. And if you look at the history of them over time, you know, in uh, 1960, you had maybe a handful of vaccines and now you have well over 30 before you're two years old, you know, and so to say like, Oh, wow. Uh, Typical American mentality, more is better. Always. Sure. And, and certainly with regards to health, the more proactive steps you can take that are easy, you know, cause we want a pill, we want a shot, we want a quick fix to solving, uh, complex issues. You know, all of us are genetically wired a little bit different. The makeup of our bodies is really similar, but how we process different chemicals based off environmental toxicities ranges, uh, and varies greatly for each one of us. So to say that, hey, we're all standardized and we're going to give this standard intervention injection, mind you, to Mm -hmm. everybody the same way at the same amounts, it's been concerning to see co-occurring health conditions also increase over time. You know, while the research around the health benefits of vaccines has clearly been stated through that research, there's also correlating research, which, albeit some is perceived to be on the fringe perceived to be on the fringe, but that does not mean it's completely invalid. It just means, hey, we need to look into this a little more. But I think we get so focused on specific components that we want that we don't take time to look back historically to say, hey, what has been the effects of what we did?
0: Okay. So,
2: I th- I think that that's interesting because I'm certainly with you in that I, I mean, I went to a doctor once in 2016 and before that it was like 2009 i'm when you know when i got and i haven't had any serious health concerns but when i get a head cold i take some tylenol i take have some chicken noodle soup or whatever i'm very much a if there's just a way to kind of like tough this out versus you know load yourself up with medicine i mean i don't take vitamins cuz my wife cooks a lot of vegetables and yeah. like if you're eating right there's no need to put extra stuff into your system i'm 100% with you on that but at least in my mind it stands to reason that the leaps and bounds that we've made in, in the medical community overall in the last 30 or 40 or 50 years has, have been significant. And it would, at least in my mind, it would follow then that there's more things that we can do to preventatively inoculate ourselves against. And certainly while they may not work for everybody and while they may cause adverse reactions in some people in a small, you and I can discuss how small percentage of the population that overall there is a there's a net benefit in leaning into the progress that's been made in the medical community and doing what we can to keep our
1: kids healthier hey we in the united states have led the world in solving catastrophic complex health issues we in the United States have helped lead the world in not managing routine general health and wellness mm. around mm. the world. True, you know, so it's like, man, we do this really good work around making substantial medical investments uh, and improvements in medical care and the delivery and access and quality and standardization across the board. and And I think we should commend ourselves for the great work we've done in improving global health. I also simultaneously think we should take a look at what we've done and how poorly we've done it around preventative and general health and well-being. You know, mm. you look at um, just emotional and behavioral health, you know, the United States ranks among the most prosperous nations in the entire world and um, the most unsatisfied populations in the world, you know, so emotional behavioral health, which doesn't really have anything to do with injections, vaccines, the purpose Certainly. of this. However, it does speak to preventative and general health and well-being. And, and that's awesome. Your wife cooks, you know, healthy, well-balanced meals, you know, veggies supplemented with proteins. And I think the more we can have the conversation around saying, hey, vaccines, there's a lot we know, and there's still a lot we don't know, especially as, you know, the ingredients mix changes, you know, and how their process changes and how our bodies change as a result. And, hey, what, you know, so there's there's what we know and there's what we don't know and there's what we've chosen to turn a blind eye to, you know, so I I, I just like to make some correlations, you know, so if you look at uh, big oil, did mm-hmm. big oil have the environment in mind? No, no, I I, I think all rational Republicans can agree with that. <laughs> now, I, I know you're from Texas. Let's go, Texas. I'm all for I, I'm you for know. big oil, even though prices, you know, drop today. And I hope they drop more, and then we buy, and then they go up, right? I mean, so <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm all for capitalism, and I'm all for free markets, and free enterprise, and freedom in all the different forms. Um, do you think Big Sugar has our best, you know, interests in our health in mind? No, I think the answer is no. And I think if well, you look at Big Pharma, they. Too don't have our best interests in mind. They're they're driven by different motives, and the incestuous relationship between the CDC and the FDA and Big Pharma and Big Ag, all of that you know ties. I, I don't think we can segment and say just vaccines. I think we need to look at that in a holistic way.
0: So to your point, the opioid epidemic I think is a great example yeah. of how the pharmaceutical industry is absolutely more concerned with profits than they are with health. With health, yeah. they are. Definitely bad actors within that industry. Well, so I, I honestly, I, I would be curious for your thoughts because I think
2: you're absolutely right that big oil as an industry and the main companies that comprise big oil as well as big sugar. You know, all the, the Cadbury egg people of the world, <laughs> they're, they're interested in their own bottom line. They're first and foremost. They're a company. They have to serve their shareholders. They have to make a profit. They have to continue to invent new things so that they can push a product out there. I'll certainly agree with that. But I think there's, it's not necessarily one to one analogous because I think oil is something that We all love or hate oil. Even, you know, the Bernie Sanders hippie leftist environmentalist people, they still, they drive on buses, they use things made of plastic, they still consume things that oil is a part of. Sugar, I think, is, it is in and of itself meant to be in addition to a... Uh, An otherwise healthy lifestyle, you know, relax and enjoy a Coke. Don't, you know, have a six pack of Coke every single day or something like that. I feel like there's a difference there. Whereas I do think big pharma, while again, yes, it needs to make money, it needs to push its stuff out there. They are successful when they make people healthier. If, if. Big, if Pfizer invents a pill that's Viagra 2, ex- except instead of giving you an erection, it makes you bald and weigh 300 pounds.
0: You're not gonna, <laughs> y- nobody's gonna want to sign up to take that pill. So, um, I'm on, uh, Todd's side here, uh, as far as the <laughs> industries. Um, you already used Todd. <laughs> Did I use Todd? Yes. Uh, uh, Ted? Have I used Ted yet? <laughs> There's other names. Timmy. <laughs> Timmy. <to me. laughs> uh, so. Coca-Cola put a huge amount of research and dollars behind a campaign to make people exercise more, basically saying if you exercise, that is the way to get good health and totally kind of taking away from the fact that you should be eating less sugar. So another indication of an industry that is not looking out for your best interests. Um, But let me take a step back and sort of make the comment that all vaccines are not created equal. I have had conversations with folks somewhat prominent republicans who have said that we eradicated polio by better hygiene practices. Yeah. Which is not true. Uh, we eradicated polio by a vaccine. Same with smallpox. Jonas so I,
2: Salk was a yinzer. He's from Pittsburgh. I don't You're welcome, know. world. Was, yeah. Jonas Salk cured polio. This fun fact for the
0: day. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, um, your listeners. Don't say I didn't teach anything. <laughs> and going back to kind of my point from earlier with thirty sixty three, you know there are the HPV and the tetanus, which yeah. are you know the whole point of that quote mandate mandatory vaccines was I believe to prevent the spread of diseases within a very communicable environment, which is a classroom or a daycare. The herd
1: mentality um, is herd, right. Yeah, yeah well, vaccine right. herd. Right. You know, statistics. Yeah. But
0: I don't want to say there are good vaccines and bad vaccines. There are vaccines that have saved lives, such as polio and smallpox. And then you get into see, I mean, you've got and,
1: and vaccines and advances in human hygiene. And, yeah. You know, I, I, to, to, did, did they have an impact? I think the research says yes. And what else was taking place in that point in time?
0: But do you, you know when polio was eradicated in the United States? Or North America? I do not know. 1979. Okay. I was going to that, say that early was, 80s. That, well, sure. I mean, that's, yeah. But that, that yeah. was very recent.
1: I think... And it's still an issue around the world.
0: Yeah. yeah. In, in in places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, yeah, there are...
1: Great hygiene practices there, too.
0: Well, also, you know, lack of medical care yeah. in general. Anyway, what, what do you think about... Some of those, some of the older vaccines. You were talking about how, like, back a long time ago, there mm. were only like six that you had to get. Are those, are there, do you just differentiate between those vaccines and, like, chickenpox, for instance, which I think was created in, like, 1990 or 92? Cause, uh, I had chickenpox. I was born in 85. I had chickenpox. There was no vaccine, but now there's a vaccine. And you and, let me come over here and hang out with you? Yeah. You know, you know, chickenpox is a, uh, related to herpes. Oh
2: it
1: my is, God. This is, is uh. a herpes. Yeah. And I have shared <laughs> microphones with you. Yeah, the there's benefits to your body getting sick. There okay. are benefits to getting sick. To Nick's point, there are benefits. Uh, again, this is thankfully this is not a scientific podcast. Right. I'd fail miserably not even close. <laughs> we are you know, so But far. there 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 is some in, in at a really high level how your body processes when you get the flu vaccine. Which at best is maybe like 40% effective. Yeah, I think 40 or 45. Yeah. So it's, it's that low. So even if you get that, how your body remembers it. Cause it, you know, when you get a vaccine, you're getting a part of the virus that's delivered into your system. Then your body, uh, produces white blood cells produces antibodies, yeah, antibodies and they go mm-hmm. after and attack it. And now your immune system remembers how to attack and take out that virus when you get it again. However, how your body attacks and remembers that within your immune system, in your white blood cells, specifically, I believe it's the T cells, only lasts for up to seven years. And so. Well, I think it depends
0: on which, which one wh- you're talking yeah, about.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah. You know, but there, there, there's a window of time there. That's why you keep needing to get re-upped. Mm-hmm. And so there's benefits to just getting the flu, eating healthy, having your body react and respond as it's designed to do and then recover. And you don't have to worry about that specific strand again. And generally your body becomes stronger as a result for a healthy population. Now, for elderly, as we're learning with the coronavirus and that spread, there's some significant challenges there. And, And with the young population as well, you know, there's other preventative health things you can do rather than just vaccinating. I think that
2: that's a very valid point because I think here, especially in America, we do a, just an absolute lousy job of general health care. I mean, we've now got Obamacare. We've got, we're spending more money. We've got more doctors, more hospitals, whatever, all this, that, and the other thing. And that's say what you will about that. We can have that separate conversation, but we increasingly lead a more sedentary lifestyle. We increasingly lead a more, processed food, saturated fats, all that kind of stuff, lifestyle. I mean, we live, we all live in Oregon and there's craft beer every stone's throw away. And I, I mean, James and I played basketball yesterday. We had three <laughs> beers at noon or something like that. Like, that's <laughs> don't probably don't not optimal. I'm, I'm running for office. Don't tell people that. <laughs> I, I think I'd, I think you'd win more votes saying you drank beer than if you're like, Oh, I, I went Just to a bar kidding. and had seltzer Just water kidding. or something like no, that. No, after I was, you dunked on people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: well, I actually, I was at the liquor store buying a, a, liquor because that's what i do and um was wearing my campaign button and the the lady behind the counter was like oh what's going on running for that was like blah 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 you know yeah running for office and uh hey don't judge me for this and she's like haha like you more for having buying whiskey from the barnes liquor store out on barnes road also i'll just note that about an hour ago,
2: James texted me. Said, "Oh, whoops! I don't have anything to drink. Do you mind bringing <laughs> something over here?" He was campaigning at a liquor store. He, he's not dry. What do we? I brought my own bourbon over here. But, you know, no, that's all right. but well, and I think one of the other things is it's interesting that there's so many different things called the flu, and I think I, as a layperson, I don't know the difference between if I got swine flu, if I got influenza A or influenza B. I don't know that COVID-19 di- or COVID-19. I honestly, my wife's at home with a head cold right now. She very, she may have coronavirus. Y'all all might be exposed to it right now, but it on. yeah, right. But I'm like, I'm never going to know the difference. Cause it's like, Oh, I, I got a sore throat and I'm coughing and I got a stuffy nose and I'm have to blow my nose a lot. There's no, to me, there's no difference between all of those things. But if I am inoculated against some of those I feel like I like the odds of increasing the percentage of chance that I may not get one one specific strain of flu. There's a whole bunch of different other kinds, but I mean, just playing the odds, if I decrease my chances of getting one or several specific kinds of the flu, I'm net-net better off. And as a society, if we all inoculate ourselves, we're we're net-net better
0: off. And I think the reason that the flu vaccine is only 40 to 45 percent effective is because there are hundreds of strains of flu virus and they only inoculate against i think the four or five that they believe will be the most prevalent that particular year and so every year that's why you can't have why it doesn't work year to year is because the strain of flu virus then mutates or changes or it's a different one that flares up every year and so i don't think it's i i would have to fact check myself on this but i don't think it's because it's ineffective against the flu it's because it's effective it's very effective against those four or five strains but but who knows
1: if those four or five strains are going to be the strains this year exactly exactly and so this year i think it was a bad year in that like 20 or 30 percent effectiveness you know this year for the strains that they were predicting in the vaccine one one thing i agree with everything both y'all have said those yes. are there's Rationality. <laughs> I, yes. Yes, yes, yes to you playing the odds you the way you want to play them. But don't mandate that I have to play them the same way you do.
0: Well you mentioned herd immunity earlier. Yeah. So how what are your thoughts? So there's there's a lot of I've heard elected officials talk about herd immunity in a way that they clearly didn't understand what herd immunity was. So
1: yeah, yeah. If, if if you want to explain, so, it, then I'll, I'll kind of say if I agree or disagree.
0: Sure. So my understanding of herd immunity is it is the mathematical model that describes the way that viruses spread or or diseases spread. You take the number of people you are on average that you would come into contact with. So you have you have a patient zero. They come into contact with X number of people over the course of the over the course of the contagious period. And there is a Y percentage that each of those individuals will contract the disease. X times Y is a number that is the, on average, the number of people who will be infected by the disease given that patient zero. And the higher that number, the more likely it is to spread. And the lower the number, the more likely it is that it will just kind of die out on its own. And so when you vaccinate a population, the, that X times Y becomes lower because You, while you're still coming into contact with the same number of people, the chance that you transmit it to an individual person goes down. And so the population is then protected because that X times Y is low. And so the disease is more likely to die out on its own than it is to spread exponentially. And so I think the reason that COVID-19 coronavirus is so... Is such a problem is that number? I think is like three. So on average, every one person that catches it spreads it to three more, and so you can see, you know, one to three to nine to you know, it can go up exponentially. Twenty-seven. Yes, that's the <laughs> next one. Thank you, Nick. Um, <laughs> James was struggling multiplying you know, two six-digit numbers together. <laughs> I, I have a degree in math, actually. So um, anyway, the the other thing you can do to reduce that x times y is reduced x which is essentially quarantine so you you take the person and you expose them to fewer people and so x goes down rather than y goes down however you have to know that the person is infected and so again with coronavirus there's like a nine day period where you are contagious but you aren't showing symptoms or something like that i'm i'm I might be wrong on my numbers, but there is a significant amount of time where you can transmit the disease without anybody knowing that you have it, which is why it's been spreading so crazily uh, these last few weeks. Anyway, that's my understanding of herd immunity. Mm -hmm. And so that, in my mind, is why it's important that if you are healthy and if you do not have a religious or moral reason not to vaccinate, that you are helping add to the herd immunity of the population.
1: Yeah. If if you believe that Everything you just said is true. And I think mathematically there is a formula for herd immunity, you know, and if uh, 93 to 97% of the population, ideally you can even have 100%. The thing that kind of blew my mind, and I don't know the science behind this, but you remember the, there was a measles outbreak on a military base and it had like a hundred percent herd immunity. So like mm. everybody had been vaccinated for the measles vaccine and yet it broke out. You know, so, so there's, there's anomalies out there. I don't know the details around well, it.
0: So measles in particular isn't, so that's is the other thing is that vaccines are not 100% effective. So measles, the first, the first injection is 93%. If you get your booster, it's 97%. So again, this is X times Y. And so your Y goes from whatever it was for unvaccinated, let's say 60%. I made that number up. Don't quote me on it to 93%. So, so or, you know, so 40% probability of being affected to 3%. Even that, you know, you're talking about how close in proximity you are. I mean, this is all like statistics. So it's not definitive that if you and I are in the same room, that there's a 3% 3% chance that you're going to get infected by me. It depends on how close we are. You know, of course, it's a disease that travels My, my healthy air.
1: lifestyle choices, the strength of my immune right. system. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. This, this so is there's all... a lot of control I have over my personal health, sure. regardless of how sickly of an environment I'm in or people I'm around.
0: That's true. And you're absolutely right. But not everybody has that ability to, to affect that. And that is people with, you know, the elderly, newborns, People with compromised immune systems, people going through chemotherapy, they don't really have that ability to change how healthy they are. You Come know. over to Madeline; she'll cook you some vegetables. You'll get much, <laughs> much healthier. I don't think that'll help hang if hang you're taking my chemotherapy. Like, <laughs> yeah, could <so> hurt.
1: <laughs> the, the yeah, the the, the herd <laughs> vaccine percentage rates. You know, so the greater the population that has been vaccinated, the more individuals who are vaccinated. You know, the smaller probability of those who are not vaccinated. You know, it, 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 it's better, right? And it's, Hey, the more people who are vaccinated, the healthier and safer we all are. Yeah. And I, I can see that perspective from vaccines. I can also simultaneously hold like, Hey, if you choose to get vaccinated right now, those percentages, enough of the herd is vaccinated. Enough of the herd. We're, we're, we're hitting a lot of thresholds. Why are we now mandating or attempting to mandate that, you know what? We got to get to 100% no matter what. Well, because so,
2: so, wait, so, I'd be curious to ask, you were here in James's apartment in downtown Portland. You drove here tonight, right? Mm-hmm. Did you drive on the right side of the road? I. Most of the way. Most of the way. <laughs> that, you no, know, downtown Portland has some one-way streets. Yeah. I didn't like the way traffic patterns no. were going. <laughs> we're,
1: we're, we're drinking some
2: good bourbon right now. We'll yeah. see what the drive back looks like. Uber. Who
1: knows? Yeah,
2: know. Uber
1: back. Uber
2: back. But I, but this is it 99.999% of the time we have laws that restrict freedoms, our freedoms to drive on the left side of the road. And we've all agreed that this is for the public benefit. We I mean, it'll happen a couple times a year, somebody gets on the wrong way in the highway or something and it, like there's generally a crash, there's generally fatalities, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. So it would be it would be appropriate in certain circumstances, generally, all Republicans, we all like freedom, but it would mm-hmm. be appropriate in certain circumstances to limit freedom and kind of all row in the same boat for lack of a better term. Bite your tongue.
1: Limit freedom. Bite your tongue boy. <laughs> so 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 I I love your driving analogy. You drove here. I did. Did you stop completely at every stop sign? I did not. Did you <laughs> obey every speeding zone you were speed zone you were in? I absolutely did not. Neither. My yeah, gives,
2: gives me a hard time about that every time.
1: <laughs> yeah, and me as well. You know, so you you took advantage of the freedoms that you had for driving on the right side of the road. I agree that we should be on the right side of having good standards for preventative health and healthy lifestyle choices that do as much as non-medical intervention. I want as few medical interventions in my life as possible. I want just the right number that I choose to be informed to accept into my body. And and so because of that, hey, I agree. If you think that vaccines are the best way to keep yourself healthy, that that's a way you should go. But that doesn't mean we should not do anything because not doing anything is just ignorance and you're setting yourself up for all kinds of other failures and sickness and you're able to then blame this system overall. If you're choosing not to vaccinate, then therefore you must consciously choose to do other things, to proactively, to take proactive steps so that your health and well-being is is still uh, protecting your family and your freedoms and not negatively adversely affecting the broader community.
0: But I, I still think that's more of an individual a- approach. And yeah, we're all Republicans, and so that's kind of our thing is individual liberty. I still think there are <laughs> <laughs> one, one of our things. Not in the Second Amendment. No, those are our two things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but I think you're, you're ignoring the the negative externalities of this, the concept of herd immunity. And like I said, it's not for the healthy people who make good choices, who are eat healthy, who exercise, who can fight off the measles. It's for people like my mom who is undergoing chemotherapy right now and has a compromised immune system. Um, I mean, coronavirus or measles, measles could very easily kill her right now. And she doesn't have much of a choice in the matter because she's fighting breast cancer. So, that's kind of my stance. It, and, and to your point that we're hitting that threshold for herd immunity. In many places, we are. In most places, we are. Uh, but there was an outbreak in Clark County, just north of the border in the, on the Washington side. And it was only 70 or 100 people. I forget exactly. But that particular community had a very low vaccination rate. I think it was something like in the 60%. And so that. I, that According
1: that, to the schedule. According to the mandated schedule, okay. the vaccination rates were higher overall, but they looked at, Hey, it, based off my understanding, they said, Hey, this is the schedule. Who is in the schedule? Oh, only 60% of the people. That did not mean that the other 40% had zero vaccines. Okay. It just meant that they were not on the really rigorous, borderline, overzealous, you know, vaccine schedule that's been pushed to the point that you made about your mom and. I pray that uh, she stays healthy and that her body fights off the cancer and and she makes a full recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, I would not want her or anybody else to get sick. And, you know, to to think that just because somebody has this shot or this injection is going to save somebody, man, I, I... you know, and, and I don't even know how you would go through the process of tracing that back to she came in contact with this one person that then caused this fatal virus that, you know, but, she got sick.
0: But what I'm saying is it's the herd immunity. So patient zero catches it. If that X times Y ends up being less than one, the chance that they transfer it to another person is less than one. They may transfer it to another person. They may not. And in, in a sense, the the virus dies. It, it catches on one person and then it it goes away. Measles, I believe, and I'd have to go double check this again, but I believe measles was completely eradicated in North America in the year two thousand, and it ended up coming back because they're from other vectors from outside the the continent, or I believe that there's actually naturally occurring measles. In any case, I think it's both. Yeah, yeah. it's probably yeah yeah, yeah, it, yeah. yeah yeah. Um, so in any case, like if you have a fully vaccinated or above that threshold vaccinated community, someone catches it in the wild, someone catches it from a kid from Costa Rica, which I believe is what happened in Clark County, generally the virus dies with them. Or maybe they transfer it to one or two more people, but then if you have a vaccinated community, then it ends up killing itself off without creating an outbreak. And so let's say my mom or someone else who's undergoing chemotherapy or newborns or elderly or somebody else, with, um, let's say they are you know, tier three or four, if it dies in tier one or tier two, then they're fine. They never get exposed to it in the first place. Whereas if you have a less vaccinated population and that ends up going to the third or fourth tier of contaminants, or then, then, then those people are more likely to be exposed.
1: Absolutely. And the word you use, the big important word is if. If it goes. We don't know if it will go in a more vaccinated society, if it will be killed, or in a less vaccinated society, how well or not people will respond in each one of those tiers. We we can make some really informed assumptions, but we don't know because we haven't seen that science play itself out. There's some it, it, that, that I've seen again, I'm not an expert on, on the scientific portion. I think there are definitely places, have we already talked about across the world where, you know, there isn't access to both the quality, uh, of healthcare as well as all the other factors that go into a healthy lifestyle and personal hygiene and other routines that we have. So yes to doing whatever we can with as little government intervention as possible. I think the conversation also needs to include, you know, what we talked about earlier, which is, hey, what's the liability? What's the risk of the negative? So we're talking only about the risk of if we don't vaccinate, what's the bad thing that happens? But what are all the risks associated if we do push this vaccination mandate to the extreme? What happens then? You know, and how come we're not researching both of those things? How come we're not researching... Hey, what happens? What What are the consequences of if we don't get to 100% herd immunity, right? If that's the goal, what happens if we get there? What are some populations we can look at? What are pros and cons over time of personal health and other challenges that people experience as a result, long-term vaccine vaccine users? And hey, what what does that look like for another population where percentages are different over time? So I think we can... We need a broader body of knowledge and science speaking into this. And I don't want to jump to any conclusions and say, hey, you know, everybody needs to get vaccinated to make sure James's mom lives, you know, and everybody else with cancer who's at risk. Again, I I want to protect those people. And I also simultaneously want to protect my personal choices to say, hey, ah, I wouldn't want to do anything negatively to hurt anybody else. So, I'm going to take other proactive health measures to make sure that my immune system is strong. So, if I get something, I know I can stay at home, I can kill it within myself and our family because we're healthy, and then, and then move on from there. I think that that's a really great way to
2: kind of sum up the argument because, in, in, for me at least, and again, I agree with everything you just said, I find myself on, on an opposite side because I like what you said about the kind of the slippery slope argument about what is, if we extrapolate this out and I'm, I, I'm still stuck on the driving analogy from earlier. It, in my mind, having something like vaccines is, is the lanes. And I think me not stopping at the stop signs, which you're right. And me driving 28 in a 25 mile an hour zone or whatever, which again, you're right, happened several times on the way over here tonight. That's like saying you, Madeline has to cook you asparagus for every single meal you have to have a vegetable every single meal and in reality i'm gonna leave here and i'm gonna call her and ask if she wants to talk about because there's one right across the street and i know she's got a head (laughs) cold and she probably doesn't want to cook tonight and that's not an optimal decision for her and my health and at a thirty thousand foot view that's not an optimal decision for the health of portland or oregon or the united states or the world because one of us develops a cholesterol problem because we keep eating Taco Bell, like there's a cost to the system. A doctor is giving us attention that he could be giving to somebody else. You know, I, there's all kinds of negative externalities. And I think that you are absolutely right in that there exists a need to find a balance because the reality is it's it's never going to be completely up to us short of moving off to uh you know some unoccupied island in the south pacific or whatever we're never going to be able to completely live by our own choices there's always going to be some amount of government that legislates something and i think there's also we're never going to get to a point where we're you know george orwell 1984 where every single thing every meal that i eat is dictated by the government every shirt that i wear is dictated by the government, whatever. And I think it's you have. You're right. You have to find that happy medium. But for now, while we engage in further knowledge, for the research, for the debate, for the discussion, I think I at least I side on the side of let's let's do what we can to keep people healthy.
1: Yes, yes to keeping people healthy. We agree. Yes to not using vaccines as the only way to do it. You mm-hmm. know, to 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 mandate to say that hey. We're going to give you the government, the government, the government of by and for the people is going to mandate that a private industry owned by shareholders is going to make something that the government forces to be stuck into your body is is that 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 hooks me. That hooks me. There's, there, it, the relationship is too incestuous and there's no risk. They have no risk. And you can say there's like, oh, there's this vaccine legal defense fund, which is, has billions of dollars and nobody has access to it. So it just keeps accumulating. And, and I've met families who have and believe and some have gone through the litigation process and their kids were vaccine injured. Mm -hmm. That, 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 that has because two to 10% of the population will have adverse effects. You know, there are statistics. They, I do believe they are suppressed because of all kinds of reasons. But to say that there's no liability, there's no accountability, and there is a mandate, I'm like, come on now. So so it's like, oh. So I'd be curious to see 2
2: to 10%. I won't dispute those numbers because I don't have any data otherwise. But I, I would be curious to see what of those 2 to 10%, what those effects are. Some, I think, could be life-threatening. Some could be life-ending. I think some could be a slight unpleasant itch or a rash or something like that. But I'd be curious for your thoughts, because you're absolutely right that the government, by doing this, by mandating some of these vaccines, what is handing a huge amount of power to BMS, to Pfizer, to GlaxoSmithKline, to whomever. Would you feel better if Bernie Sanders said, I just got elected president and I'm going to start... The United States Drug Company. And as part of the federal government, we've now got doctors and chemists and scientists and whatever. And it's not Pfizer anymore. It's the United States government that's developing these inoculations.
1: I don't feel good about the government doing much of anything. (laughs) Certainly not that. Spoken like a true Republican. However... However, it goes back to where is the body of knowledge coming from? Where are the breadth and depth of professional experiences and scientific research coming from? How are people choosing to be informed? We've all been in that position personally and professionally where you have science and or knowledge speaking something and you have feelings and thoughts and opinions that are in conflict with that knowledge, right? That scientific evidence. And what we have here is scientific evidence That has been for a long time skewed in one direction, controlled by one population. And over time, as other physicians and researchers have attempted to use that data in conjunction with other new data, now it's bogus and it's fringe and it doesn't make sense when it was never considered in the original pool of evidence. You know, and, and, and so we're, we're at a really unique time in history, I believe, where, where you, where we can have these conversations and we can actually have enough smart people in the room and around the table to ask those thoughtful questions. I think where we get the pendulum is swinging too far to the left and too far to the right and not in the rational center. Nice, and that's why you guys exist. <laughs> you know, to, to to be able to help that pendulum settle down in the middle and say, "Hey, let's have this conversation. Let's make sure we have the right people around the table." And so, if Bernie Sanders did that, I'd be like, "Ah, oh, man, I hope he wouldn't start the U.S. vaccine program, which kind of already exists." But who who's around the table? Who's around the table concerns me more than what table they're sitting around. Because if it's all the same, same again, and and, and if it's all people who do not agree in vaccines that also concerns me. And if it's all people who are only for vaccines it's like hey the truth i think we all know is kind of kind of in the middle. There's not going to be this one thing for this, it's going to be like it's going to be part of this and part of that and then how do we put it together? But hey, we want a quick fix and we want a shot to cure it.
0: So this is kind of my stance and this has evolved over time through lots of conversations on Facebook and through in person. 3063 it was not a fine. It wasn't jail time. It was not anything for failing to vaccine, vaccinate. It was, you can't send your kids to public, private school, public school, private school or, or daycare. So my several issues with that, first of all, telling private institutions what they can and can't do. And the other thing being that it included a lot of non communicable diseases in their vaccine list, which I feel like, yes, it's a good thing to get the HPV vaccine, but no, it's not at the same level as something that could be transmitted. Because I, I think like every time you look at legislation, you have to look at what what is the purpose. And if the purpose is to prevent the spread of diseases within a very, you know, confined space that we've talked about this before, you know, high elementary school classrooms are Petri dishes for diseases being spread.
1: And brilliance. And brilliance.
0: <laughs> they are Petri dishes. That, that, that is a, a yes. thing. Any teacher you talk to with they have like several colds a year because it just kids are kids are dirty. So if that's the purpose, if the purpose is to prevent the spread of communicable diseases within a environment that is already prone to that, you should not be including things that do not spread that way. does it mean that those are bad. No, I think they're, they are good, but they should not be mandated in the same way. And again, mandate is a bit of a, a mis misnomer, I think in this case. So my, my stance, if you choose not to vaccinate, for communicable diseases, measles, for instance, that is your choice. However, I think it is reasonable that you don't put that child in a position where those diseases could spread easily, such as a public school classroom.
1: What are your thoughts? If my kid is the only kid in the public school classroom, or if there's 2% of the kids in the classroom, then the herd is protected. Why are you worried?
0: Because you can't control the other 35 kids in the classroom. And if you and 17 other parents decide not to vaccinate, it's now not one kid and 35 vaccinated kids. It's now
1: half and half. Yeah. Okay. But we're not even anywhere close to those numbers. We're at the herd immunity threshold. Sometimes. Most of the time. Not in Clark County. For one instance, most people were on the vaccine schedule. Not this strict mandate, a modified one, mm-hmm. a modified one, but most had been exposed. That's why it didn't get out of control potentially, right? Did did okay. it happen? Yes. Did it get out of control? No. Did we have enough preventative measures in place to control the herd, to get things back in line? Absolutely. And it happened pretty freaking quick. And that's a good thing. Hey, crisis avoided. Nice work. Public health. Good job. Good job, you know, personal hygiene. Good job, you know... Clorox wipes, Madeline's vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Coming Madeline. In hot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You
2: know. And so this and I realized that this is this is an apples to oranges comparison, but I think it merits consideration all the same. It is worth considering what was the there, there's going to be an economic impact cuz this was a couple of, it was when I lived in Oregon, but there was a couple of years ago in Clark County in Washington mm-hmm. that there was a measles outbreak and a number of people were affected if it's 50 people call it that's 150 missed work days call that 500,000 or a million dollars in lost productivity for their respective employers cumulatively there is some dollar cost associated with that minor breakout that was via the herd immunity that existed that was controlled and was contained and did not turn into, you know, a Morgan Freeman movie where we're all running around in biohazard suits or whatever. But what is the what is the cost of asking people to give up some of their personal liberties? Because I think I we're all Republicans. I think we can all agree if the cost is nothing, then yeah, what the heck? Let people make their own decisions, vaccinate or not. If mm. the cost is if there's one person who doesn't get vaccinated and this flu comes out or whatever and we turn into the zombie apocalypse i think we'd all agree that it's not worth taking that chance and we should all probably get that vaccination and so let,
0: somewhere in between let's all remember that measles does have a 1% fatality rate or mortality rate so there is a non-zero chance of dying from the measles so it's it's not just lost productivity i mean you could somebody could potentially die from it anyway so there you
2: go and it, it's it,
0: again there is no there's no exact way to
2: value it. So I know there's no real way to kind of work through this thought exercise and get to an exact dollar figure answer, but I think it's worth thinking.
1: I I think you could. I think you could run through that scenario and kind of figure it out. And I think we're going to see our federal government with COVID-19 start to make steps in that direction right now. I mean, I heard something on the radio on the way over here about uh, some sort of... Uh, 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 Adjustment in employer payroll taxes to help with the lost productivity and, and that sort of thing. So things that are people are being hysterical about, like COVID-19, mm-hmm. you know, okay. that, 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 that there is that economic impact. Some of it we don't know. Some of it we're, I think, going to be figuring it out. The other economic impact, if you're going to look at that, you also simultaneously have to look at the economic impact of children's with uh special needs who have been injured by vaccines and what that has done to state medicaid systems mm. what that has done to parents lost productivity where you maybe had two parents who had professional careers and maybe upper middle class now making significant lifestyle changes and may- now maybe they're in middle class or lower middle class and you know the stress that puts on families from an emotional behavioral you know general health and well-being standpoint there's tons of kids i mean you look at autism rates over the last 30 years man they've skyrocketed now i'm not saying there's causation but the correlating factors between all of these things is alarming and certainly needs to have a deeper dive
2: and i and i think that that's fair and i like we're in the same boat on this the the more knowledge we get the more research we get the more data we get the better period full stop unequivocally but i would feel that the number of you children- would feel or do feel I do feel. I okay. <laughs> actually, if Reagan Canope is listening, you said <laughs> that data earlier, and he had a big stink on Facebook about data being plural, and it's it's those data, and that's so if Touché. we're if we're gonna do if we're gonna Touché. do full deep dive grammarian it. Reagan, if you're listening, those data <laughs> prove something. But I do feel that it merits looking at. The actual number of kids who have had adverse reactions to a vaccine that either is currently part of the law or was part of 3063 and what that cost is. Because as far, and again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Don't have the data in front of me. The data that are definitive. Reagan, if you're <laughs> listening, but my understanding it is, is that that happens on a, a relatively infrequent basis that there's, it's in, the single or double digits in an entire state of whatever, four or 5 million people like Oregon, it's a very small number of, of individual children and of families that are affected. And my guess would be that the economic impact of that is less than the economic impact of something like the measles outbreak a couple years ago.
0: We are running out of time quickly. So Tim, would you like to uh, have one final word before we ask you our final question?
1: Yeah, I, absolutely. I would say again, Thank you guys for having me. This has been a great time. Yeah. The only safe, this is a safe place. Mm -hmm. It's so rare to find safe places and it's almost safe enough for me to reveal my identity. (laughs) Almost. Almost.
0: This is is going out on the internet, so you may not want to. Yeah. No,
2: I I I appreciate you guys. But Topher, our guest, has promised to bring (laughs) bourbon for 2.0 of this episode. So we will have another episode of this list. Topher. Weren't
0: you giving me crap for tea names? (laughs) <laughs> well, we're sticking with, We're at the end of the
2: episode. We got to stick go. with the theme. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right.
1: Um, well, I I I do believe that there's nothing more important than the choice for personal freedom, and I do know that everybody's choice impacts somebody else, hmm. and that I care for people as a profession. You know, working in healthcare, uh, caring for people is really important. And, and I would say it's a noble calling to, for one person to show love, a genuine, caring, humanistic approach, one person to another, whether you know that person or not is is truly important. And to respect each person's choices and behaviors, whether you agree or disagree is, is vital to a free and just society. And, and I also believe that if corporations are in business to make money and if people are imperfect, and doctors can make mistakes, and if if judges can get it wrong, and what is scientific truth today can be challenged and wrong at some point in time in the future, that we need to step very carefully on this subject. Again, I'm not making light of the importance that it has and what we know is conventional wisdom today. But what we know today may not be the same, it shouldn't be, of what we know tomorrow and into the future. And so how are we becoming informed with data we agree with and data and numbers and statistics we may not disagree with, but that help blend and create a more accurate full picture so we can have a more full and just society?
2: Makes sense. Well... I'm going to have a full and just belly of Taco Bell tacos in about four minutes. (laughs) No, no.
0: (laughs) So, Topher, we ask our guests (laughs) at the very end of every
1: episode, uh, who is your favorite Republican? Will Weatherford from Tampa, Florida, is one of the most thoughtful, smart, gifted, strategic, kind, passionate, Americans in the country and his unique blend of life experiences and professional experiences and his heart for caring for people, um, has been inspirational to me. And I believe to thousands of other people. Um, and, and as he grows in his, uh, uh area of professional expertise and as he grows and and in the influence he has on public policy i believe that he will inspire a generation so, and i just so our listeners know does will have a day job he does he does <laughs> so will uh he he runs a company called uh he and his brothers started a company called weatherford capital and so then he he got out of public office oh but so he out. he
2: was he
1: was in public office he got out a few years ago uh termed out um, he was a speaker of the house in the state of Florida and now is in private practice. And everybody, including me, are encouraging him to run again because America needs him. You know, I, I recently saw the documentary called A Football Life on Roger Staubach hmm. and and just what a prince of a guy he was. And uh, obviously, I grew up watching him play and certainly saw highlight reels and what a talent and and what a man of character and so many people said in a football life he should if Roger would have run, run for president he would have won hmm. now whether or not that's true who knows but but a lot of people think about how genuine and kind and thoughtful and talented he was as a personal uh as a human and as an athlete um in a completely different way and and will is a talented athlete i'm going to will if if you get this you 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 you're, you're super talented <laughs> Um, You're free to Will send this to him. somebody. Yeah. Tweet at him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely tweet this at him. Um, he 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 was a phenomenal athlete, um, was because he's not anymore. But uh, he comes from a family of great athletes. But but just really comes from a family of great people. Uh, they have big hearts. They love people well, and they're trying to do something in the private equity space that is outside the status quo. And Will has worked outside the status quo in his life as an elected representative and i believe that as his life unfolds there will be other opportunities for him to run and so america vote for will wherever you are wherever whenever you move to florida there's like 5000 people a day moving to florida so so the, there's like you know 2% of this audience is going to be moving to florida in the next day
2: our podcast guest tomorrow moved to florida there this we go is now no longer our podcast guest tomorrow
1: there we go that happens you know, so, um, and there's a lot of good reasons to be there, but he he's just doing a great job. Can't say enough good things about him as a person, as a father, as a professional, as a legislator. Hey, the guy so. before him, who was the Florida speaker of the house got himself a Senate seat, ran for president. Here doing we go. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So cool. Thank you guys. Appreciate you in this time, this opportunity to share. Of course, this
0: is a good episode. I, I'm very happy that you were able to come out here and, uh, listeners, uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Berlosky. Lauren Christensen is our producer. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts.